Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. To finally set it all right and everything will be good again. And, uh, and that's a big approach. And in fact, that's a big approach, uh, a big lean in the direction that, that we have taken and me personally have taken. Uh, and then uh, last week was the idea of something to transcend. Uh, let's not focus on those two things. Uh, I, I said I grew up in, in an away from environment because of our target audience, the East Lake Leans being four, and a lot of my ex-Catholic friends and a lot of the smart theology books uh, are written to transcend, which leads us then to the kind of last category today. In fact, I put it in together in like a cool little graph for you, and I should have brought this in week one. I don't know why I waited for this, but um, this idea of here, here's... Your, your personal upbringing and your, your, this church and every church that's meeting right now falls somewhere on this spectrum and for or against. And those are typically two opposite things. And then if you're above, it's like, I got a little of a combination. I want to do both, but I also want to say, well, let's not focus on the, the details. Let's focus on the bigger picture on this thing, right? Uh, let, let's, let's focus on, on, on uh, being the, the transcendence of, of religion or the transcendence of, of reality. And then uh, and, and they're all Christian. Guys, this is not like, okay, we're, we're in this category so everybody else loses. It, this is all just about in terms of which teachings of Jesus carry the most weight uh, in, in those things. Which, which ones are focused on? Which ones are ignored? Which ones are highlighted? Uh, which ones uh, get the, the most airtime in this way? And if this were a game of four square, each box is sort of represented in the church and the faith that you were brought in fits somewhere inside of that box. And there's a lot of space in this too. It's not just one thing. There's a lot of, you can be hyper extreme in one way or the other. Uh, the spectrum is wide uh, in this way. And then the question, like I've tried to be like uh, and try and turn the conversation towards because of our setting, because of you're here, not because you're, you know, want to be a pastor someday. And this is really good for when I plant a church someday. That's probably not even on the radar for most of you, right? So uh, you're like, you must know me, right? Or anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, what does this have anything to do with me? What does this cool graph, Brent, how does this help me live Monday through, you know, Saturday in this way? The answer to that question is I want you to be able to think critically about church faith strategies so that you don't lump everything together in like a lazy sort of fashion, right? In the same way that from a political standpoint, you, I, I don't want any, I don't care where you voted for or where you come from. And you, you know that you've been around here long enough. We've gone through enough presidential elections. I don't really care. I just, when, when, we, when we say all Republicans are this or all Democrats are this, it's just lazy. That's not true, right? It's not all, it's some, it's whatever. Uh, and, and so in the same way, I don't want you to reject church because this version of Christianity didn't resonate with you or it doesn't make sense to you or it's not rational or it's, it's hyper emotive and it's just like, that's not my style, that's not my thing. I don't want you to reject Christianity because of stylistic reasons. I want you to understand uh, that there's different approaches and that there's value in each one. There's pros to cons to each one. And whether we intend to or not, we tend to evaluate. There's another reason why does this... Uh, why is this important for me? Not only do we tend to kind of lump things together and, and, and use judgment that way, but when we evaluate our own personal status, when we take inventory of ourselves and figure out where we stand, our status in relation uh, to our, our self-evaluation often rests in evaluation with other people. We look around uh, and we see kind of where everybody else is at and that makes us either feel good or worse about ourselves. Or we, we, you've never said, 
I'm rich or in isolation. You never have, right? You've looked around sometimes, you've gone, I'm not rich based on what so-and-so drives and where they live and all this kind of stuff. But then you've gone to throw a country and be like, I'm rich. It's, a lot of times it's looking around at different locations and being like, where do I stand? Let me, let me see. Do I, fe- I don't feel rich. I don't, nobody ever feels rich. Um, ha- where do I, but where, where's this at? And oftentimes it is in relationship or in relation with other people. We're always looking around at the garages of other people, the retirement accounts of other people, and other kids testing. And this is a big one, right? School just let out. I don't know if you got the letter that we got. Hey, here's your final grades for your student. Here's where they stand, right? And we've all done the parent-teacher evaluations. They bring you in and they say things like this. Your kid, and I don't know if this happens to you. It has happened to me once. It was really great. Your kid is smart. No, it happens a lot. Anyways, my kids are great. Your kid is smart. And I'll be like, yeah, that's good. It feels good. But then I'll be like, yeah, but like, how smart? You know what I mean? Like, what are we talking here? Do I need to not worry about retirement anymore because they're so smart or... Where's this at? Like in relation, you know, and it's all, what am I I asking for? What am I digging for? In relation to who or what, how are they smart? And they would say, they're very smart. I'd be like, cool, that's great. Again, can I just, I don't want to pry, but I just want to dig a little bit more. They're highly capable. Okay, great. That's compared to, you know what I mean? And they're going in this way. And they would say, in the 98th percentile. And I'd be like, oh, okay. So help me understand that. Like, you're clearly not in the 98th percentile. So let me explain this to you. <laughs> if there were 100, they, and there was the, they would be in the two, you know, two smartest in this way. And I'd be like, ah, thank you for your time. Exactly. That's when I feel good. Don't tell me my kid is smart. Tell me in relation to... All of your kids, no, I'm just kidding. Your kids are all in the, in the 100th percentile too, so it doesn't matter. But we do that, right? Like, it, it's not enough in, in, in the same way when it comes to this idea of, uh, you know, I'm a Christian, or, or what does it mean to be a Christian? And we look at this, and we see other people in different categories, and we go, is, is that, is this what it means to be a Christian? It, it, when, when we see somebody living this out on social media, and the way that they post, the way that they do things, or I never go to that, or I don't drink that, or I don't do that, and we go, oh, is that what it means to be a Christian? And then, then we go, does, how does that make me feel about what I'm doing with my faith, right? Or, we, you know, it's all, it's all over the place, and wherever people land on that, it's, it's a constant battle. And so I want, you to, I want you to be able to see through this, not just in terms of how we do things at Eastlake or whatever, or this, whether you're figuring out this is the right church fit for you or whatever, but even in terms of your own personal faith, I think it's important to do. So today we're going to be talking about this last category. Um, it's a crossover between for and against, and it really has almost nothing to do with an above transcendent sort of thing, even though they both kind of say, um, why don't we do both? And, and we said last week in the transcendent approach, it was, let's not, you know, let's look at the bigger picture. Don't get bogged down with the details. Um, this sort of transforming approach really does focus on um, focusing in on those details. We can't be both separate and uh, separate from and unequivocally for. It's like this impossible task. How do, we, how do we ration the fact that God, that Jesus, in his time on earth, um, called us to be separated from? And even when you look at like the story of Israel itself as a nation, right? In the Old Testament, when God is dealing with the nation of Israel, he's constantly setting up all of these guidelines to be separate from, different from, separate from the world. The world does this, but you're gonna be my people, you're going to be different, right? So it's very, very clear that there is a differentiation piece that is a narrative that flows through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Jesus is calling the church, even in his use of the word church, it's ecclesia, which is this idea of called out ones, the ones who have been called out, not necessarily as a nation anymore, but as a, uh, as a nation within a nation, as, as a people group who are going to 
um, I look at the person of Jesus afterwards and be like, he was something different, something we've never seen before. We are gonna pattern our lifestyle after that. There have been a lot of good teachers who have come before. Moses is great. Abraham was great. Paul is great. John, the apostles are all great. Really, we should venerate them. We should you know, uh, highlight them and, and read the, some of their teachings. But when it comes to Jesus, there's something different there. There's something focused there. And when he says something about living separate and living holy, we don't wanna differentiate that. But on the same, on the same hand, Jesus had lots of, uh, lots of verbiage about being for the world. We said in, in, in week one of this series, um, when John, the apostle John sits down to kind of write his sort of gospel good news, he says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the whole entire world, not the Christians. He didn't call, for God so loved the people who were against all of the right things that they were supposed to be against. Did Christ come? For the world, Christ came. Uh, and, and this very, this openness to this and, and this idea that Jesus constantly had interactions with people who weren't living in the uh, sort of lifestyle that shows up against. And yet he gets down in the sand and begins to write things in the sand and invites them into a new way of doing life. And he turns to all the people who are hyper-focused on the against. And he says, you're welcome to throw the first stone if you feel like you're the ones that are completely innocent in the process. And nobody does because everybody knows I can't do that. And that is exactly where this transforms sort of life this, that approach to it leads, right? Which is essentially, I know I'm called to be different. I know that there, there are good things in the world. I know that, there is, there, that there are, there's goodness among uh, people. I know that there's an, an innate goodness in creation. I think that um, people don't earn the righteousness of God and they don't earn the right to be treated as brothers and sisters in Christ. They are innately humanly gifted because, of their, because they were made in the image of God, whether they believe it or not. And so therefore there's, there's love there, but there's also... I live with this tension of like, there's something that I'm supposed to do, but I know I can't do it all the time and I'm struggling with all of this time. I do feel called to be different, but I feel a conviction for the world. And even then, when on, on a more personal approach in my disciplines, I, I take it and I say, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna tell everybody else what to do, but I'm gonna do things differently. I want to live in response to the differentiation that I feel like Jesus is calling me to. And yet, when, you, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a question of motives and we struggle with this. Why am I doing this? Why do I want to be good? We live with this thing where we go, all right, I'm trying to be good. I'm gonna try and be good. I'm gonna come to church for a little while. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna try and, I'm gonna buy a Bible uh, and then I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put it on my, I'm gonna slowly process it. I'm gonna buy it and then I'm gonna put it on my shelf and then I'm gonna open it and be like, see, I opened it today, God, look at this. And then, then I'm gonna read a passage. I'm not gonna understand it, but I'm gonna read it. And then I'm gonna put it back and then I'll go back and I'll read two of those passages I don't understand. And then I'm gonna go talk to my pastor about what I don't understand or I might act like I do. And, and then, I, then I realize then I realized, am I just doing stuff to like appease myself? Like, is this, what is this? This is, this is just me trying to behave my way into God's good graces. And, I, and what I know about grace, it doesn't operate like that. And that's such a difficult spot to be. Now I'm convicted because even when I try to do good, I know how shallow I am and I know how broken I am and I know that um, it's not even me, it's me trying to be a version of me. And then I'm like, that's cheap and that's weak. And I don't want even that to be presented to itself. I, I'm doing this for all the wrong reasons, maybe because I think I should or because I'm trying to make God love me or owe me or whatever. This is a big deal. And uh, lucky for us, Paul writes about a little bit of this. In, in his book, his letter to the Roman church, 
And real quick history, we've talked about Romans before, but Paul was the guy who went off and started a bunch of different churches and then post-Jesus deal and, and, and then would have these correspondence with them. So uh, a lot of them are, are like a church in Thessalonica, a church in Colossae, a, third, uh, a church in Corinth and all that kind of stuff. But what was unique about the letter to the Romans is that he hadn't been there. That was not a church that he had started and kind of come back to. It was a church that he had heard about and was in the center of empire, right? Rome was the, the big superpower, world superpower at the time. He knew he wanted to go there and he felt like, if I'm really gonna take the, the gospel of Jesus and have the maximum impact on the world, then there has to be an outpost within the, the heart of the empire. Think about what a a church in a successful church in Rome could do for the expansion of the good news of Jesus Christ into the world. So he knew this was valuable, um, and uh, and it had already existed. And we don't know who started it or how they kind of heard the good news and began to meet. But they begin to meet in homes, uh, and, and and there's some really fantastic stories about it. And so he writes this letter to them, trying to like persuade them a little bit about who he was and his apostolic authority. And I'm going to come visit you, and when I do, I want you to kind of know who I am and, and understand my teaching and, and and all of that. And so he writes this letter to them, almost to sort of impress them a little bit. Uh, and if you've ever written like a, a cover letter to a resume and been like, I'm pretty awesome, but I don't want you to think that I'm way too awesome. You know what I mean? I'm trying to like be humble and strategic about this and trying to communicate a little bit about me without coming across too heavy. That's a little bit about the Romans approach. And so if you've ever read Romans or tried to read Romans, it's one of the most difficult Pauline texts to read because of this angle that he's trying to do, right? Um, and in it, one of his strategies is I'm gonna kind of like, Think out loud. I want, you to sh- I want to show you how I think and not just tell you about what I've done, accomplishments, but like live with this tension and show you that I'm working through this idea of living with this transformational peace in mind. And so it's almost as if he rip his, rips a few pages from his diary and includes them in this letter. It's very personal. It's very raw. It's very like high level sort of thinking, right? Um, you, would, you, would, you would read this if you were in that original audience. Like, this seems like somebody who is interesting and complex and um, has a good head on his shoulders, but also is working through some baggage on his own way. So with, with that in mind, I, I want to read this text with you, but I think that that's important to kind of understand as we go through this. Uh, and understanding Paul's dealing with motives as well. So Paul's letter to the Romans um, is in chapter seven. We're going to read a few passages together. It's going to be a lot on the screen. So as always, um, we put all, anything that's on the screen uh, onto our app, or if you go to eastlaketricities.com slash notes, you can gather it all there. So if I go too fast, you don't want to write it all down. That works too. All right. Let me take a drink real quick. I can anticipate the response that is coming. In other words, I've already said some, a few things and I know what you're gonna say. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. In other words, God has asked us to do things. I feel a conviction to live differently. And there's a, a sense in which we can push this into the category, all of beliefs. But they would say, but it's not all just about having the right beliefs. It's also about living differently too. So we can't just think differently. Those, think, those, those thinking things should translate into proper uh, behavior, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? And so he says, yes, let me tell you what I'm thinking through as I'm relaying this, not just thinking about it, but doing it. I'm full of myself. This is a big confession, right? This is, this is, this is brutal honesty with himself and something that like, there's probably a few dads that probably need to work on this too, right? Similar thing. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. And then he goes on, 
What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. I know what I should do, but I find myself not doing it. And in fact, I do the thing I know I shouldn't do. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. Like I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need something here. I'm gonna need uh, an accountability. I need to take God seriously in this way. And then he moves on. Uh, go Next slide for me. There we go. Uh, verse 17, but I need to do something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin is within me, it is sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I know what I need to do, but there is something inside of me sabotaging me, working from the inside of me, like a, a sin nature, a, a, uh, a, a, um, a, I know that I'm broken, that there's something about me that's bent in the wrong direction that's not working. I realize that I don't have what it takes, that it is not an amount of tries I just, God, I just need another chance. I'll do it right. It's not an amount of tries. It's something broken inside of me and therefore it will never work. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad. How many of us have decided not to do bad? You know what? I'm not gonna do bad this week. I'm gonna try that out. But then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every single time. Here's what he's saying, right? In, in, in terms of our, our quadrants, when, when people would, you know, he's for and there's against and there, there's boundaries that we need to play, be placed and there's interactions and engagement. He's like, yes, both of those things are important. Instead of saying, yeah, but those things don't really matter. He's going, those matter deeply. And I just don't know how to handle both of those things. I don't know how to handle um, a, a, a sense of uh, like differentiating myself through righteousness, but also then being for, it's a, it's a tension that I have not figured out. And he's, he's right, he's broadcasting this to a people group that he's trying to impress and hoping that they have a positive uh, outlook on him. Um, uh, verse 21, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. How honest is that, man? How honest is that? How many times have we come and been a part of a church service, either here at Eastlake or elsewhere, and we, we hear something or we read something or we, we listen to a podcast, we watch a movie and we wanna be bad, I wanna be better. Or how many dads are like, I wanna be a better dad. And, and then I find myself like struggling to actually do it. I know I want to, but for some reason, I just can't get over the hump to be able to make this thing happen. And then he goes on uh, this. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I am at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? He's trying to kind of put out there... uh, there is, a, there is a tension within me and I'm not able to kind of solve this myself. Isn't, shouldn't there be something? If I have this, shouldn't there be some sort of fix? What hope is there for me if it's not within me? And he's basically saying this, I don't see a way to avoid this paradox. I am expend, I'm expecting tremendous effort to work through this, but I'm gonna need some external help. I need something that lives beyond me. It's this idea of third-party transformation that by myself, all hope is fleeting. I can't do it by myself. I'm living with this, like bearing under the weight of 
differentiation and being against things and listening to Jesus' teachings about being, uh, you know, dying to myself and, and whatever. And then I'm, I'm listening to his teachings of being four and I'm going, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I feel stuck and I keep crying out to God going, it's, it's not within me to be what you're asking me to be. I can't do it by myself. I'm gonna need um, your grace. I'm gonna need your help. And, I, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful thing because I think a lot of people in, in, the, in the real valleys of their life get this and, and it resonates in a deep way. Um, and one of the cons of this approach is I've, I've said there's always pros and cons to each approach. I, I really don't think that, oh, this is the fourth one of the series. This is clearly the one that's the best. I, I, don't, I don't think like that. And I, I really think that they're all kind of uh, good in, the, in, their, in their own ways. One of the cons of this approach is some people aren't able to make this turn and they live in this glut of I'm broken and, I, and I'm hurting and I need, I need God. And, 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 and they live in this like super negative sort of uh, space of, constantly crying out and never really making that turn in this way. One of the gospel letters written by a follower of uh, Jesus named John uh, recorded a teaching of Jesus about exactly this. Here's what he has to say. Jesus is talking to his audience. This is the airplay. This is the airtime, the weight of Jesus' teaching in this way. Chapter five, verse 24 through 27. Jesus to his audience says this. It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone here who believes what I'm saying right now and aligns himself with the father who has in fact put me in charge who has said on the spectrum of things, of ways to do life, Jesus's way feels like the best way to do life. I'm gonna do my best to kind of take what he said, implement that, figure it out in my life, moving forward. Has at this very moment, the real lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. It's urgent that you get this right. The time has arrived, and I mean right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing will come alive. That is really the true hope of a transformation thing. And the fancy word that church, uh, you know, biblical authors and theologians have, have used for this is this idea of what's called regeneration, taking this dead, broken self within me. God, you, by your power, not through anything of my own will, regenerate this me and give me the desires to do the things that I know I should do and I find myself not doing. But through you, if I, even any good that I do is because of you, not because of how good I am and therefore deserving of anything. This idea of regeneration, God, regenerate me, this conversion sort of thing. Even baptism. Baptism has been a symbol of this sort of thing. I'm dying to this old way of doing life and rising again to new life in Christ. Right, this is a big, this is a big thing. Uh, the book that I've been referencing and using a quote from for every part of the series, so I'll do, I'll do one more for today, uh, is a book called Christ and Cultures. It kind of interacts and introduced me to this quadrant theory of kind of approaches. It says this: Christ is the transformer of culture, in that he redirects, reinvigorates, and regenerates that life of man expressed in all human works which is presently actually, or actuality, which in present actuality, excuse me, is the perverted and corrupted exercise of a fundamentally good nature, which in its depravity, and that's a big word that we'll come back to that shows up constantly over and over again in this trans, God transform the culture. We function from a depraved nature, which in its depravity lies into the curse of transiency and death, not because an external punishment has been visited upon it, but because it is intrinsically self-contradictory because there's something within me that is self-contradictory. I live this self-contradictory lifestyle where I know I should, but I don't, right? Uh, and, and I'm struggling, and it's, even when I do good things, it's the motives, and I'm, I'm, I'm functionally degenerate, and I need your help. I, am, I have a depraved nature, and God, I need, I need grace in this way to kind of re, uh, regenerate my mind. That this idea that shows up in, in other, um, in other uh, people who have kind of worked through this, um, 
using that, this idea of this imagery of metaphor of bent timber or bent wood, uh, that God can use even bent timber like me to build something great. And I don't know if you've bought lumber recently. Maybe you're rich and you have, but um, <laughs> you don't feel rich, but then you look and be like, I'm buying lumber, so maybe I am rich. I have no idea. I know it's come down. Don't, it, the joke still works. It's fine. Um, good, if you, if you go into a, a lumber place, I even, can't even, lumber shop, you can tell how often I go to these lumber shops. Uh, <laughs> If you go into uh, Lowe's, Home Depot, I'll say that one, right? Those, those work. Uh, and you watch people who know what they're doing. The, uh, and I've done this a few times. When I go, I'm like, what do I need? I need a two by four or eight feet. Okay, I just grab it and I just throw it in the cart, right? But the good people who know what they're doing, they hold it up. They look at it. They eyeball it. Here's what they know, right? Not every, as, much as, we, as much as we try and make it uniform, there's no way that every piece is straight. And, and I don't realize that until I'm halfway through a project and I'm trying to work this thing out. And I'm going, this thing's not going to work at all. What are you talking about? And then I'm angry at Lowe's for ripping me off for 25 bucks, right? And it was my dumb fault for putting the piece in my car anyways. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Good workman, I each piece going, I think I can use that. I think I can use that. I think I can use that. Uh, and they're always trying to find, you know, as true as possible. And if there's minor imperfections, we can kind of work it. But if it's a major one, it's like it's no good. It's just destined for a, a scrap heap or some dumb idiot like me who's willing to buy it and, and then get it home and not figure it out until later. And the idea behind this is that, and Augustine works through this as well, that God has never looked at anybody and thought to, them, to himself or, or said this, I don't think I can use that. That's too bent. It's, it's too far out of whack. It's not worth the effort. It's not worth this. Uh, and the, the secret that all these people will tell you is that no piece of lumber is ever perfect. They're all bent in some way. And they, through the skill of the carpenter are able to make it look uniform. And when you get a straight fence, it's not because Lowe's hooked you up. It's because you hired somebody who knows what they're doing, <laughs> right? And so it's this idea of, I live both in this idea that God is going to transform the world, but also a little bit, not a little bit, in a major way, because this is what I care about most, me, that I too live with this tension of knowing what I should do and what I shouldn't do, not being able to do either one and going, I don't know if you can use broken timber, Lord, but here I am. And God never wants looking at timber like us and being like, that's too broken, I can't use it. He's the master craftsman, he figures it out, he works with us and every single one of us needs that sort of transformation. That is the beauty of it, and that is what we celebrate. He's always working with crooked timber because that's the only thing he's ever had to work with. So uh, I don't know which approach. Uh, Phil, if you want to throw that graphic back on, on this thing, uh, um, the, the quadrant deal, I don't know where kind of you land and, and you know, where this church kind of ebbs and flows and where I, I flow spiritually. I think that there's a ton of different things here. I'm thankful uh, for a, a, a wide spectrum of Christianity that meets people where they're at and what they need to be able to do. And I, I'm thankful for a Christ who in his teachings is kind of all over the, uh, the map on these things as he invites us into a new way of, 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 obedience, of obedience to him, that, that Christ doesn't look exactly I'm thankful that we, we that Jesus doesn't look exactly the way that I look and, and vote the way that I vote and think the way that I think and like the people that I like and don't like the people I don't like, uh, that, he, that he stands externally outside of that in, inviting us into this thing and transforming us in the process into a better uh, version of ourselves, which incidentally looks more a lot more like how he does life. So we're going to celebrate that. Uh, we do communion uh, at the close of every series, and so we're going to do that this morning. So I'm going to invite our communion team to kind of make their way. They're going to have two stations 
down the front and the band's gonna come back up. They're gonna lead us in one last um, song. And communion for us is a way of, of uh, interacting through a sacrament of the church, uh, taking a little uh, a piece of bread and, and, and juice that represents the body and blood of Jesus. There's gonna be explanation for what we believe about communion on the screens as it plays through. Feel free to read that. Um, and, and feel free, you're in, everyone's invited uh, during this next song and we're gonna stand in a moment. You can slip out of your seat, make your way to the front, grab one of those, head back to your seat and, and participate there. Um, if it makes you feel awkward, don't wanna participate, no obligation whatsoever. You're free to just kind of reflect, use this time to reflect on the song and what any of this teaching or any of this stuff has to do uh, with our life. Um, so, with that said, would you stand and I'll pray for us? Father, thank you for working with Crooked Timber because that's where we find ourselves. And uh, based on our own comparison of ourselves, we would oftentimes look around and be like, how crooked am I in compared to other people? But that's not the way you say things because uh, you, you uh, have worked with it all your life and uh, you're, you're doing the work of transforming and regenerating our hearts and giving us uh, new life. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you for that guidance in us. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like as we navigate, navigate as a church, uh, how to process through that, and then uh, individually as well on our, on our own personal level. So we thank you for your son and we celebrate him today in your name. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri Cities in your favorite app store.